Good day, listeners. This is your host, Michael Martins, with the Martins Critical Review, broadcasting this morning from an overcast, wintry day in south-central British Columbia. In today's program, I present you with another one of the final COVID-19-focused episodes, and I promise there's only a few more. In this episode, we'll examine the abject lack of journalistic integrity, which is now pervasive within today's mainstream media, and look further at the role that they serve as propaganda agents for tyrannical governments. Today, again, we deviate from the typical guests we host in the program, and rather than speaking with a scientist, we will be speaking with a recently fired career journalist. Joining us for this episode is Anita Krishna, formerly a director at Global News. Anita was born and raised in British Columbia and obtained her Bachelor of Applied Arts in Radio and Television from Ryerson University. For over 10 years now, she has worked at Global, directing thousands of newscasts and a variety of their programs, including the News Hour, Global News at Five, Global National, and most recently, a series of COVID-19 press conferences. Anita began to question her superiors at Global as to why the time-honored journalistic premises of truthfulness, accuracy, objectivity, impartiality, fairness, and public accountability were blatantly absent from their COVID-19 coverage. Again, as her inquiries were met with a response, don't ask questions, just do your job. This troubled her personal and professional integrity, and she began to investigate the real science behind COVID-19 and began to speak out against the official narrative. Her defiance towards her superiors and unwillingness to continue to report lies and spread propaganda to the masses has ultimately resulted in her termination as of yesterday, January 18th, 2022. Anita, welcome to the show. It's an honor to speak with you today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for inviting me. Pleasure. Fantastic. Fantastic. So, and I guess, you know, welcome to the light side as well. <laughs> well, well, thank you. I, I think I'm in good company on this side. I think I'm in good company. I, I think so for yeah. sure. When, when, it, when it comes time for our souls to be measured um, for their lightness and darkness, I think uh, we will be on the, on the lighter side of things for sure. So but before we get into the meat of the discussion today, Perhaps you can inform listeners as to why you chose your line of work and what motivated or inspired you down this path originally. Oh, like from how I got into broadcasting? Yes, um, exactly. Well, you know, <clears throat> I guess, you know, people who are attracted to broadcasting have a certain type of personality. I think a lot of us are sort of wannabe actors and things. So I always remember in high school and in school, just being very involved in theater and anything that was sort of theatrical or animated. And then I think a lot of us get into debate teams. I was always on the debate team and stuff like that. So anything where you're speaking out was always something that attracted me. And so I suppose that journal journalism or broadcasting uh, just piqued my interest as a as a profession that that suited me. Um, yeah. So excellent, excellent. Okay. And uh, you and I are both first generation Canadians. Do you think there exists a difference in how we were raised when compared to our multi generational Canadian peers? And perhaps this is why we've stepped away from the mainstream narrative as opposed to just absorbing it uh, and unquestioningly. Uh, meaning you and I were both raised in, in BC, both raised as Canadians. Um, well, as you, first first generation Canadians, as opposed to multi-generational Canadians that seem to have uh, ubiquitously just bought this narrative. I, I don't I don't know. I don't know about that. I think it's very individual because there are some some multi-generational people that don't don't buy the narrative also. And there are people like you and I who do. So it's probably a mix. 
I would say that my, like my parents are immigrants, Indian immigrants from Fiji. And obviously I was raised with a lot of traditional uh, Indian values and culture, but um, we totally assimilated into Canadian culture. So my parents loved pop music and, uh, and all the things that Canada had to offer, my parents embraced. They accepted this country and loved this country. They didn't try to oppress me or keep me as a little nice little Indian girl getting married at age 19 or something like that. They never treated me like that. They, they were wonderfully supportive, beautiful people, my parents. Okay. And, and the reason I ask is because I have many uh, Eastern European friends whose parents, you know, grew up under the uh, Soviet era and uh, they have a, their children, their offspring are definitely questioning this narrative. And many people who have come from the Eastern Bloc or from regions in South America that have experienced communism uh, are definitely recognizing what's going on. Whereas it seems that many of the multi-generational Canadians because they haven't had any hardship in their life, uh, just sort of seemingly are just moving, you know, moving along like a herd uh, unquestionably. Yeah, that, that is a good point. I think that people who come from other countries like Romania, Poland, uh, other countries in uh, South America that recognize um, propaganda when they see it, they recognize oppression when they see it. So absolutely, uh, people who come from certain countries are quick to recognize this right away whereas maybe you're right like a lot of everyday canadians like some of my best friends and stuff like that they they, they don't really know what's happening they don't they can't see it yeah yes, so that's yes. that's a very good point it is recognized definitely by by people from different countries and if your mother was somebody who's come from poland but she is going to recognize what's happening or east germany romania any of these countries they they recognize maybe more so than some of some others. Yeah, they, they certainly seem to get it. And then was there an aha moment during this whole COVID-19 fiasco that uh, caused you to take notice and really begin to question the mainstream narrative? Yes. Well, as a matter, a matter of fact, there was. I mean, all of 2020, <clears throat> I was putting our public health officer on television and I was listening to her because I wanted to know when my life would go back to normal. I just wanted to go to concerts and do things and, and, and enjoy my life, I guess, as I was. So I was listening. And at the time, they called that must-see TV, right? So we were, I was listening with intensity, just like everyone else was, waiting for some answers. And then I just tootled, tootled along, I guess, in 2020. And then it was like the beginning of 2021. And maybe this is old news to some people, but to me it was new. I had no idea that there was, <laughs> I had really no idea what was going on in laboratories all over the world. So in particular, when I heard about the Wuhan um, Institute of Virology and the fact that they were studying bat coronaviruses and that they were doing gain of function research to make these viruses more pathogenic. Um, and I had also found out that that research was being funded by the US government by Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins. I said, what the hell is this? How does anybody look at this information and not see this for what it is? Oh, what that's, a, that's a conspiracy theory. <laughs> Absolutely. You will be shot down if you even say anything like that. And that I couldn't understand. 
I couldn't understand why anybody would shoot that down. That didn't make any logical sense to me. And the second thing was, is I got into kind of a, an argument with one of my closest friends. She's a, like a regular person. And she's like, she was just so against hearing anything about this lab and that it was even a remote possibility that this, that this could happen. I couldn't understand it. I couldn't understand her reaction. And it was that reaction that fueled my thirst for knowledge to find out, well, what actually what happened in that laboratory? Because whatever happened in that laboratory has filtered throughout the whole goddamn world. And if you don't understand where this virus came from, this is going to happen to you again. If you want to stick your head in the sand and not, and not accept that nobody ate a bat, this didn't come from a wet market. This is a deliberate. And if you refuse to understand that, God help us all. Yeah, yeah. Well, well said. Well said. And before we continue, I think it's important um, that we define for the listeners the important elements of journalistic integrity and why they're so important regarding the dissemination of information to the public. Journalistic principles, journalistic integrity is what is supposed to drive the news. So being fair and being balanced and reporting what goes on in your community is, is crucial. Um, and I think, <clears throat> I think in all the years past, I've actually started working at, at my job there in 1997, but I went off and did lots of other different things in between. But I would, I think I worked at a time where journalists fought for the truth. They strove for the truth. They told the stories, things were fair and balanced. And, and that's, that's how it always was. And I only noticed this massive change come 2020 and 2021, where the other side I felt was not reported whatsoever. I felt like the, the scales tipped for the first time in my life ever seeing uh, seeing the other side not reported. It's interesting. And seeing what I thought was just complete propaganda. I mean, we put little banners on the bottom of our newscast saying, you know, is it okay for you to not feel comfortable to sit beside the unvaccinated? Like we started to to do banners like that, which what are you doing when you're doing that? You're inspiring hatred. You are, you are feeding fear. You are working towards demonizing a part of society by saying things like that. And I felt like I was in a twilight zone. I couldn't understand how we could say things like that. Yeah. And, and it's interesting that you bring that up because uh, I've had this very similar discussion with a number of my colleagues recently. And if we look back at the values that Canada has espoused over certainly our lifetime, um, those are values of acceptance, inclusion, you know, a, a blindness to race, creed or color or, or origin of country. And that's, I think, what has made Canada a place where people of all nations have wished to come to. Because, you know, let's face it, the, the economic opportunities in Canada aren't the same as what they are in America. So people are coming here for a more fair and equitable existence. And so for, you know, 
fast forward to 2020 or 2021, and now suddenly we're vilifying a group of, of the population that has decided not to partake in an experimental medical procedure, which now scientifically is shown to be harmful and useless. Uh, and we have our dishonorable Prime Minister Castro uh, publicly admonishing this segment of population as misogynistic, racists, uh, white supremacists, um, you know, that are science deniers and, and are dangerous. Uh, and in fact, even uh, the dishonorable Bonnie Henry has said that, you know, that she feels that the unvaccinated pose a health hazard. And, you know, my question, of course, is, you know, based on what scientific evidence are you making those claims? And, you know, and certainly uh, you don't look like a white supremacist to me. Um, and, and so, you know, how dare these people paint people uh, like you and I that are simply truth seekers um, especially now, uh, you know, today, where we have such an abundance of information uh, that this narrative is is patently patently false. Yes. Um, yeah, we've always been in a country that accepts people, embraces people. There was a time when things were very racist. Like I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and I certainly had my fair share of racism thrown at me, and so did my family, because we were the only sort of minorities in in um, the, the neighborhood. We were the only minority in the neighborhood. And I remember one day in grade two, a black girl came to school and I was so excited to see someone <laughs> of color because she was darker than me and she had uh, cornrows, like she had braids in her hair. And I was just thrilled to see a dark skinned person. That's the, that's how I grew up is grew up just surrounded by Caucasian people. But now that's changed. That has completely changed. We embrace you no matter who you are. We embrace wherever you come from. You want to wear your hijab. We support that as we bloody well should support that. So for the first time ever to hear this rhetoric of, uh, of demonizing a group of people who are merely just questioning where the hell this stupid vaccine came from. And you should be questioning that. You shouldn't sit there and just say, oh, this came from nowhere. Look how quickly they came up with it. You think that that's what's happening? And if you, if you don't realize this, it's almost partly not your fault because the internet is so censored. You know, like nor normal people, I have a friend that calls them the normies, you know, like my, I guess everyday people who are living their lives, when they go to Google vaccine safety, they're going to get from Google nothing but vaccine safety. So can we blame these people or do we blame them? What do you well, think? Well, it's interesting because I recently invited, and I, I won't mention his name on air because um, that would be uh, a disservice to him, a university professor at Ottawa, older gentleman in his late 50s, early 60s, you know, a career academic. Um, he has a contrary opinion on, on climate change, which is great because, of course, you know, uh, and we'll get into that, that climate change is another one of these false narratives. And uh, so he has, he has the intestinal fortitude to push back against this narrative. Yet he is utterly absorbed by the mainstream narrative of this concept. And I've, you know, I, through our correspondence, because he, he basically said, you know, I'm not sure I want to come on your show because you're spreading misinformation about COVID. And it's, you know, it's irresponsible for people like you to be um, questioning a medical procedure from the most modern and, and developed uh, medical system we've ever seen on the planet. Uh, you know, where a billion people have taken this vaccine, et cetera, et cetera. 
And so my initial response was, you know, Dr. So-and-so, um, do you also take your climate science from global, global CBC and Google? You know, he didn't answer that question. And um, so unfortunately, I think right there's a large segment of society, right from the most educated to the least educated, that for some reason have just accepted this. Uh, and I think... You know, as I covered in one of my uh, most recent shows with um, uh, Officer James Top of uh, Canadian Armed Forces, this is absolutely a psyop. And when we look at Bitterman's chart of coercion, every single one of those points has been executed on the population. So really, you know, while I have some sympathy for these people that weren't asking questions, um, there is a much, much more sophisticated process at work, which, of course, seems to involve mainstream media uh, to report the data. And as you as you suggested, when you had these these news bulletins and you had the ticker streaming, you know, part of that also was the the number of cases and the death toll, and you know, it was just it was constant, constant fear porn. For, for you know, for myself, I haven't been a cable news or a cable TV watcher for over twenty years now. Uh, I, I recognize that main, the mainstream narrative was was essentially pollution and uh, so I, I've stepped away from that but you know many people especially the older demographic who've grown up with CBC as you know this source of reliable information and perhaps at one point it was but a, a government funded news source one has to question the validity or the journalistic balance of that information but I think it sucked people up because it, it was something that was told to you every day by every network across Canada and by every mainstream news organization and also throughout America and throughout the world. I mean, anywhere you turned, it seemed like everybody was doing it. So whether it was Boris Johnson or Angela Merkel or whatever the heck, uh, Macron, you know, <clears throat> Biden, whatever and trudeau we are all saying the same thing so i think as much as you're right that it is the responsibility of each individual to look up this information i think there's just a massive uh, group of people that just turn on the news and listen to what the news says you know um and i think that that you know well the news is telling you this so we've always trusted the news and we have no reason to not trust the news and all of a sudden their bias and their their narrative is 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 needs to be questioned now, but I think there's a large portion that that they don't question. Like I got my eyebrows done the other day, and the the girl there, she knows where I work or worked, and um, she's like, I keep getting texts to get my booster. Like, should I go get my booster? Do we have to get these every six months? Like they're like these these are the questions she's asking me because the government sends you a text, and so when you see that text, you're like. Oh my God, they're telling me to go get it. Well, I better go get it. And that's why you have 22 year olds getting booster shots because we're telling them to do that. And, and, and they're not question, questioning it because why would you question what the news is telling you? Why would you question what the public health officer is telling you? They're supposed to be looking out for you, not lying to you. Well, that you clearly. Yeah, that, that clearly shows that people are unaware of Operation Mockingbird, initiated in 1974 by the CIA, which, you know, the, the ultimate objective of that program was that nobody will have any knowledge in their minds other than what they will parrot from the previous night's evening news. So, I mean, this is a this has been a well-orchestrated uh, effort uh, to propagandize information and control information. And, and, you know, only those people who have stepped out of, I guess, that 
that pathway or that established uh, route of, of information dissemination uh, are uh, getting some balanced information. Although it is interesting to see, you know, you mentioned America as, as, as pushing the narrative as well. You know, CNN, certainly, you know, the criminal news network certainly is uh, you know, not, not much different than our mainstream Canadian media. Um, you know, the, the three anchors for Fox News, uh, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram in the evening actually have real journalistic um, integrity. And they're, you know, looking at both sides. They, they've interviewed many of the same guests that I have. And um, although in the daytime, Fox is a vaccine promotion machine the same way that uh, the rest is. So it's, it's interesting. At least that organization allows their certain of their news personalities a level of journalistic integrity, integrity and uh, opportunity to present both sides. Uh, and we simply don't have any of that in Canada, which again makes me question, you know, who's in charge of, of you know, is there a top-down approach here that's dictating what's, uh, what's going on? I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, I mean, I, I guess kudos to Fox News for doing what they're doing, though people sometimes in the mainstream, I'm pretty sure people that I work with would laugh if I said, oh, Tucker Carlson interviewed this person. I think they did just dismiss him. I, I guess he gets dismissed, but he's actually really speaking up and, and he's really trying to speak the truth and he should be credited for that for sort of uh, up and coming. But I know that people will laugh even if I say his name. People laugh if I say Joe Rogan's name. He's laughed at by mainstream. Well, I think that Joe Rogan can have the last laugh since he has 11 million people tuning into every podcast and CNN has 800,000. But well, yes, it's interesting. You're right. In Canada, we're not doing, we're not seeing this side on mainstream. Yeah, I mean, it, and it's interesting, and, and you know, clearly you have a lot of uh, left-wing leaning friends. I mean, I certainly don't in, in my peer group. I don't have anybody that says any of those kind of things. You know, the, the the laugh is more the other direction of you know these these fools in mainstream that are you know the propagandists uh, for the government. So it's interesting to see that. And again, you know, we just saw this on the electoral map when we had the recent federal election that from the Saskatchewan Manitoba border west to the coastal mountains this is the freedom loving non-communist component of canada and then from the coast mountains to the ocean are liberal ndp communists and from manitoba east again it's you know um, communists that enjoy being governed harder by their government daddy and and you know looking for ubi and don't believe in free enterprise and and so forth so it's that's an interesting observation so can can I guess we can both agree that the Canadian mainstream media has done a very poor job of providing balanced information to the Canadian public regarding this whole COVID-19 situation? Absolutely. This is the first time in my life I've ever seen such unbalanced reporting in my life where mm -hmm. there are literally rallies on their doorstep and they are not even sending a journalist out to cover the people in the community that are speaking. Why would you not send a journalist out to cover that? They're on your doorstep. They have something to say. Unless you are complicit in the narrative, you would send a journalist out and a journalist should insist on going out to talk to the people in the community because that's part of journalism is reporting what the hell is going on in your community. When a, when a rally shows up on your doorstep and you refuse to cover that rally, you call yourself journalists? Well, maybe, maybe there'll be a little more... Sorry, maybe they'll be a little more interested once uh, the protesters show up with pitchforks and Molotov cocktails. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't, it almost has to get to that point. But 
Um, I will say though, I did want to bring something up that I don't know why this guy has been on my mind. Have you ever heard of Mac Parhar? Well, let's let's wait for that. Let's get into that. Um, oh, okay. I, I do have a couple of of um, points here um, in terms of the Canadian uh, news outlets and, and global included that. Um, seem to be in contrary to the abundant real scientific evidence available at this point, they continue to spread government sanctioned propaganda about a number of critical COVID-19 issues. Um, let, let's go through some of those now. Um, and, and I'm sure okay. you'll, you'll agree. So um, there's a complete lack of coverage on the, um, the unreliability of the PCR diagnostic tool. Would you agree? <laughs> <clears throat> Well, the mainstream loves the PCR test. So I, I have brought that up before in the newsroom to a reporter. I said, that PCR test, I think, I think you know, they ramp up the cycles. You get lots of false positives. Uh, I've heard one doctor, Dr. Mike Yeadon, who, who I respect, say that that is a test that you generally would use in forensic circumstances. That is not a test that you would use to test a, a virus such as this. But the PCR test, they are in love with the bloody PCR test. Yeah, and of course, you know, again, if journalistic integrity would dictate that you coverage the cover the Supreme Court of Portugal's ruling, throwing out the PCR as a diagnostic tool. And yet we never heard a single mention of that within mainstream media. And I think there was also uh, a couple of other European courts, lower courts that had, came to the same decision. Um, and in Canada, it's bizarre, you know, that the media wouldn't be holding the, the government's feet to the fires. Why is the cycle rate a secret? This should be a publicly available number. And, you know, I think at one point, um, Ontario was high as 45. And I think BC has been in the mid 30s continuously. And so as we know, that I don't like to call it a test because it's not a test. It's a DNA multi multiplication technique, which really is designed to continue the narrative because a case is meaningless. I mean, when in, when in our history have we been concerned with how many people have the flu or the runny nose? I mean, that doesn't matter. So, you know, if, if, I'm, if I have minor, minor symptoms, am I really a case and should I be, you know, um, considered a problem, right? Well, there's a sign on the door outside of work that if you're sick, don't come into work, you know, wear your mask and yada, yada. And you need to have a PCR test to confirm that you are not ill, you know, unless you are deemed okay by the PCR test. You know, there's a sign on the door saying something like that. So, you know, again, once you hear that constantly, then you think, well, the PCR test, that's the test I need to take. I guess that's the one that that's the one that's going to do it. And so that's why you see people lined up. Uh, you saw people drive to a testing station to have something put up their nose almost into their brain so that somebody could tell them you are sick. Do you know something? If I am sick, I'm pretty sure I'm going to know that I am sick. And yeah. I don't need to have something inserted up into my skull to tell me that I am sick. Yes. So that yeah. bogus PCR test, they are in love with the PCR test. You're not going to break that love affair yeah. in, the, in this conversation. We, you and I cannot break the love affair with the PCR. But they've now gone to do the rapid testing, the one that it doesn't go as far up uh, in, in your nose. So they have the one that just kind of swabs. And then people who are vaccinated 
are testing positive for whatever, whether you can actually test for Omicron or not, they're testing positive left, right, and center and getting sent home. And the people that are testing positive sometimes don't even know that they are sick, but they are yeah. sent home. So what's the problem? Yeah, yeah What's the crazy. problem? Yeah. But, um, by, by doing all this testing, it inflates the cases so that then they can report the cases. Oh, there's just so many cases. If they don't keep this emergency going, they cannot pump this emergency use vaccine. You've got to keep this going. And the testing keeps it going. And yes. they don't cop to that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to get in a lot of trouble. I don't even know how much more trouble I could get into. I've already gotten into so much trouble. I guess this is it. They, they can't do anything more to me other than send someone to my house. To, to hold me down and jab me. I guess they could do that. But like, I guess I can't get in any more trouble. This is honestly how I've been feeling the whole time uh, being there. I feel I'm made to feel like a crazy person. Yeah, yeah, I think you're many people, uh, unfortunately, share your position. Um, so the, the other sanctioned propaganda item is the promotion of face masking, uh, even for children, which, you know, again, we have ample scientific evidence to, uh, and early on in this that uh, face masking was a complete waste of time. <clears throat> well, some people love their face masks too, because it is sort of virtue signaling. And um, I mean, in a way, I didn't have such a huge problem with the, the mask, because I guess if you're around someone and they're sneezing and you want to wear a mask, okay, wear a mask. I don't want to wear a mask. And I don't want to see my children wearing masks. My children wear masks all day in school. And the kids come out of school and they walk down and they play their sports with their mask on. And I feel like ripping it off their face and saying, you don't need this. You don't need this. But um, I had a nurse who I interviewed on my podcast tell me she sent me some excellent studies on why masks are ineffective. These are studies I've never seen. I look and look and I'm not... I can't find these, but she sent them to me and uh, they're excellent studies proving why they don't work. But, you know, when you are masking, why are we masking healthy people? I guess they say, you know, it, it contains the droplets or something. That's what we believe. But I think that's that's not true. I mean, you probably know more about it than me about the masks. Yeah, I mean, I'll send you a list of uh, around 100 studies uh, showing that masks are utterly ineffective for this. Um, and clearly the mask is a compliance tool. So, you know, just that process of, of, of submissively putting that stupid thing on your face. <clears throat> now, obviously, some people are stupid enough to think that they actually work. And so they're somewhat excused um, for their compliance. But I think many people are just, oh, I just do it because I don't want to cause a scene or, you know, and this yeah. is even worse. And so, you know, I, I, I refuse to put on a mask. Um, I fly without a mask. You know, I've got no interest in putting on a mask. Uh, I have a mask exemption. And um, I've, there's been a few places where I've got into, you know, quite heated verbal arguments with uh, shopkeepers. And uh, I just say, look, you know, you're, you're, and, and, and in one case, uh, Choices Market here in uh, Kelowna, I wound up with about three hours of discussion with the president of that of that group, uh, which is very bizarre because Choices Market is owned by the overweighty uh, Jim Pattison group, and I can go into Save on Foods, Urban Fair, um, Overweighty, all of these um, other uh, supermarkets allow you to go in face maskless, and yet this Choices uh, operation 
here in Kelowna, w- w- finally, they at one point they put their foot down and said, "No, you know, this is this is not good. You can't come in. We, we will shop for you. You can stand outside, and we'll shop for you." Oh. And and so uh, you know, I spoke with Rocco Galati, and he said, "You know, that's that's ridiculous. Um, you know, you tell them that you want to pick your own steak and your own tomato, and that how dare they ask you to stay outside." And so after lengthy debate with the president, who actually I, w- I will say. You know, uh, was a very effective communicator, and obviously had you know some sea level training in terms of how to how to be an effective communicator and, and trying to resolve a situation. Um, but in the end, he was un, un, unyielding. And I said, well, look, you know, I spend you know thousand fifteen hundred dollars a month at your store. I probably know about ten other people uh, in my immediate circle that do the same. And so we're going to pull our business from you. And I'm not sure what your annual sales are, but if you want to lose you know, $10,000, $15,000 a month in revenue for discriminating against us, then, you know, if that doesn't mean anything to your bottom line, well, so be it. If it does, then you're going to enjoy the loss of, the, of those sales. And, uh, you know, since that event, which I think is probably last April or May, uh, or maybe even March, April, I've never been back. Uh, so I think that's something that, you know, people people need to start to 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 do. And of course, you know, the the my opinion on this whole narrative is that um, you know uh, the average Canadian has been captured and has no potential for escape from this, and uh, you know this is going down a, a very very dangerous slippery slope to something that most people don't realize. But uh, that's uh, that's that's a separate a separate discussion. So back to back to these these points here of these sanctioned propaganda, uh, and something that you brought up um, is is the demonization of life saving medication. Uh, you know, which in, and, you know, in Canada is one of the few nations in the world um, where we don't have any prophylactic treatments or early outpatient treatment. Uh, and again, the, the abject lack of journalistic integrity, you know, why hasn't Canadian media covered the fact that Japan found contaminants in its vaccines and opted to go with ivermectin as early treatment, looking at the evidence coming out of India, you know, with a small sample size of several hundred million. Uh, so I think this is, again, one of those news stories that as a journalist, you have to cover. You know, Japan isn't some tin pot dictator, you know, little crazy nation that doesn't nobody is concerned about. I mean, it's one of the major economies on the planet. It's a major first world nation. And, you know, they've obviously and their and their COVID situation is in the rear view. So what have you what have you witnessed in terms of, you know, the demonization of these products? <clears throat> there are some anchors that I've talked to there, very nice people. They have told me to my face, well, and they mean this from the bottom of their heart. They they don't think there is any early treatment because they've never heard of anything like this. They, you know, they just I won't name names, but this one person, she just really had never even heard that there is such treatment. Now, one day in the in the newsroom, big mouth me, I said that my cousin actually got what she thought was COVID in 2020. And uh, she told me all about her symptoms and what, what happened to her. And she has a, a pre-existing condition. She has an autoimmune condition. So she takes hydroxychloroquine anyway. That's just part of her thing. And she told me, and she had no reason to tell me this. This was ages ago. She's like, I think that that helped me feel better. She recovered in about nine days. She's a very sickly person. But she goes, I think that that helped me taking that. But it's something, you know, she's kind of quiet about. She, she doesn't want to say it out loud because it's been so demonized. And I remember telling my friend that 
the friend that I had the argument with about the Wuhan lab, she's like, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because Donald she Trump promoted it. That's why it doesn't yeah. work. Yes, 100%. She hates Donald Trump and the fact that he even mentioned that drug, that's why she said it doesn't work. So she is actually not listening to my cousin who said, Anita, I took it and I think it like made me feel better. So I said that one day in the newsroom, I said, my cousin, you know, took this and she thinks she feels that she got better because of this. That's how I said it in the newsroom, very sheepishly. And one of the anchors was like, oh, she thinks, oh, she thinks she feels better. Like they were so mad that I had even brought that up to which I was then like stunned. And then I said, I then I one day I did bring up stupidly, <clears throat> well, not stupidly, but I brought up ivermectin. I said, what about ivermectin and how that is like Pierre, Dr. Pierre Corey has treated thousands of patients with this and look at what they've done in India and Japan and any other country that takes ivermectin seems to cure their COVID problems. And then one of the dudes in the newsroom said to me, that's debunked, Anita. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Uh, you know, I mean, this, 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 is, this is very humorous. And 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 I and I I do feel bad for you because I I, I can only imagine I I would lose my mind surrounded by those people. Um, so I'm I'm actually very impressed that you lasted this long surrounded by you know, a, bunch of, a pack of fools like that. Um, and this you know again this is this is very telling and it's it's an eye opener for me to see what the average Canadian uh, his mindset is because you know the the just, yeah. Just to say things like that is 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 just it's 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 mind-boggling. But this is why we're in the situation that we're in, uh, because for some reason Canadians seem to have outsourced their critical thinking to either the news or the government. And um, you know, it's interesting that we're in this this strange uh, dilemma. We're in the horns of a dilemma here because yet. There is so much information available, you know, uh, and of course, you, you do a Google search on a, on, an, on a topic versus a DuckDuckGo search, you get two totally different flavors. But all this information is abundantly available. And even in the, you know, there's an imaginary line not far from the south of you where you move into America. Now, the entire West Coast is unfortunately captured. But as we move into the, the middle portion of America, uh, this doesn't exist. And so uh, I remember watching the Canelo fight in July from Houston, and there was 17,514 people. So it was a record sellout crowd. Nobody wearing a mask. You know, the odd moron was. And this was so far ago. And yet, and then so, and even still today, you know, like loyal hockey fans in Canada are watching games that are taking place in, in sellout arenas in America. Nobody wears a mask. And then, you know, in Ontario, I think they're at 50% capacity. You know, the, 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 the folks, I don't know why anybody would waste the money and watch the Canucks, but uh, you know, there's, there's folks there uh, at Rogers place there or whatever they're calling it now wearing masks and, and, you know, pretending like there's some kind of, uh, you know, pestilence going around. I don't understand how that happens with somebody simply, you know, you turn on the television, you see something, it doesn't register in your brain, and you continue on doing the same crazy thing that you're doing. But the problem is it does register in the people's brains. I think you've surrounded yourself with very with 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 people that you just surrounded yourself with people maybe that are like minded. I am still in the world or I was in the world of the of the no, nobody's thinking like me. Yeah. <laughs> 
whatever, whatever you want to call it. So all the, 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 I just don't, can't think of another word than the normies, the, the normal people. They, the, the, they, the sheeple? The sheeple? Or, or whatever, whatever you want to call it. They really are picking up what the news is putting down. So they're picking up the information and they're like, well, you've got to get it. And, you know, we've been using the vaccines since, since for, for childhood. My mom thought for the longest time, we've been taking these vaccines forever. No, mom, you haven't been taking these vaccines forever. These bloody things have only been used in humans since 2020 and um, and and whatever. But but yeah, so that's what happened that he said to me, uh, the ivermectin, that, that has been debunked. Like, how? Wow. How, did, how did he even say that? And then the anger that people have towards ivermectin is intense. Like it is an intense anger. If you take it and it works for you, who cares? Why would anyone care? If you took hydroxychloroquine and zinc and you think it works for you, who cares? Why would anybody get mad at you? Well, I mean, and again, we have this preponderance of evidence from, from sub-Saharan Africa. You know, all those nations, unfortunately, are, are afflicted with malaria. And many of those people take, uh, you know, hydroxychloroquine is, is a very old, like a generation one malaria drug, but it's cheap. And so some of these more poor rural communities, um, that's the medication that they're, uh, they have available. And the, the incidence of COVID is almost non-existent in that tiny Africa, uh, tiny continent known as Africa with, with nearly a billion people. So we, you know, it's, it's when, when somebody says that's been debunked, I mean, it's, it's just so preposterous because the old overwhelming evidence that we have. I mean, between India and Africa, we have 2 billion plus people. COVID has been stopped in its tracks in those nations. You know, people are slowly getting on with their lives. Uh, and yet here in this, you know, ridiculous little country, Canada, you know, people are still worried about um, these kind, kind of concepts. And, and you know, you, you mentioned vaccines. And of course, that's something else that the mainstream media has been promoting. And really, I mean, let's say at the beginning of 21, we didn't have a clear idea as to what these were going to do. I mean, there, there's a there's a utter history of destruction of, of health from vaccines, the, the, the previous ones. Um, and as these came out, you know, I think it was, it was irresponsible to be promoting these in the first place. And as we moved through and saw the data and the carnage that these were causing, you know, continuing to promote these, uh, now established dangerous and useless vaccines is a disservice to the population. Well, absolutely. But again, if you are a normie, you are seeing no carnage whatsoever. There is no carnage. Do you, I would ask people at work, um, have you, do you know anyone vaccine injured? Because I certainly do. I certainly do. And um, they would say no. And even my best friend who's n normal, she's like, oh, I, I don't know anyone that's vaccine injured. But believe you me, there are tons of vaccine injured people. This has been one of the most dangerous and deadly vaccines to ever hit the market. But there's something going on. <clears throat> That's why these medications are being um, uh, discouraged. Well, they're not even being talked about. And the vaccine is your answer. So there's something at play here that I don't understand. You know, all of a sudden the news is vaccine salesman. God forbid you to speak against it, you know. Um, <laughs> we're selling these vaccines as this is what's going to save your life. 
I don't see any evidence of that. I don't, no. I don't really, maybe it does save your life. I, I have no idea. I mean, if it protects you or not, it doesn't seem like, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like if you believe in it, take it and God bless you. Just don't <laughs> force everybody and have shut people out of their jobs and mandate this. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, it's, so we uh, have yeah, I mean, in, interior health now has begun a process of, uh, closing down or sorry, um, sh shifting nurses from various portions of the hospital um, uh, because they're having a shortage because, of course, they fired, uh, I forget the number, but, you know, there's a, a large number of, of nurses were terminated due to their decision not to receive this danger. Over 3,000, I think. Okay, so yeah, either three or five thousand. So you know, a large number, and you know, our health system in the hospitals was already at a critical level because of staffing shortages. And so, like here in Kelowna, I believe there are now um, um, all elective surgeries have been canceled. Um, you know, it's kind of, and again, it's because of a staffing shortage, uh, which which is you know, it's, it's unnecessary. Um, and so I remember there was a meeting which occurred early in the fall. Uh, with some of the dissenting nurses, and I spoke with one of them from Vernon, and she said that she'd been taking a prophylactic dose of ivermectin since March um, every Sunday, and she hadn't had as much as the sniffles, and she worked with COVID patients, she worked on the COVID floor, and, you know, so there's, these are anecdotal uh, stories, of course, but, you know, the, the data sets are very clear that this is, this is a means for us to stop this. Um, we, we already sort of talked about the, the suppression of the true origins of the virus, um, so let, let's let's move past that. And you know, I I had the uh, the fortune of, of interviewing Dr. Li Min Yang, uh, who's the CCP defector, who's also the whistleblower as to the the complete extent of this. And you know, when you speak with her, you know, it's it's very clear. And she has a the understanding at a genetic level to look at this sequence, and she can tell well this you know the the Chinese government harnessed SARS-1 as a potential bioweapon, and then they, they weaponized it into this form. And, and it's, it's all very, to a scientist who understands the genetic sequencing, you can see the lineage, you can see the pathway to the creation of this thing. And then, you know, given the fact that the CCP has a written document, which talks about um, uh, viral warfare, or germ warfare, to advance its agendas, you can't turn a blind eye to that. And if you do, you're, you're foolish. Um, the other, the other point I wanted to bring up here is, is the, the media's promotion of lockdowns and unquestioning the, the major damaging effects both on the economy and the mental health of Canadians uh, due to these. Um, I had a, one of my guests, uh, Alan McRae from Alberta. Uh, he continues to, to, to hammer the Alberta government with, with facts and details, and he publishes information. Uh, and we calculated that the difference between those who were 75, 80 plus uh, who had died from COVID versus the sub 35 group that had died from overdose. Um, and this is la middle of last year. There's something in the difference of 35,000 person years uh, of life lost from these young people that uh, took their lives through overdose versus the, the older people that died. And, you know, you're, if you're 80 years old, you're already three years expired from the uh, global average life expectancy. And so we're, we're trying to protect these people in the wrong way. And yet we're having these unintended and, and awful consequences uh, towards the young folks. Oh, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> you know, protect the vulnerable. 
protect the people that need the protection, but ask them what protection that, that, that they want. You know, if you're 80 years old and you're in a care home, maybe you do want to hug your grandchildren. Maybe um, these restrictions are absolute bullshit. You know, maybe if you're 80 years old and you have three kids, the restrictions say you can only have one essential visitor. So that means you can only see one of your kids. Now you ask me, which I have two sons. You ask me, you know, do, do would I prefer to see one or the other? Would it not break my heart? No matter must, what age I was. You must have a favorite. Right? <laughs> We won't tell them though. We won't tell them which the favorite is though. I I know I'm I know, I know I'm my mama's favorite. <clears throat> uh, no, I don't have a favorite. I don't. I, it's like what is it, Sophie's choice? I can't. I can't like pick. I can't pick a kid. But like, imagine if I'm 80 years old in the hospital and I have my sons that are 50 something, and I can only see one. They would break my heart. You know, what kind of stupid nonsense rule is this? And it's not the same for everybody, right? Like, let the young people get on with their lives. And if they get COVID, hey, how about you give them the medication that they need that's going to treat them instead of instead of withholding that medication and then demonizing people who don't get vaccinated? How about that, you big jerk? But anyway, these lockdowns have caught, not you, but these lockdowns have caused so much damage to people, to the economy, to small businesses, to the people waiting for surgeries that are being put on hold. People have been suicidal. People have lost everything. Imagine one of my best friends owned uh, Airbnbs. You think that? business was thriving in 2020 and 2021 absolutely not that went down the toilet um all the bars no dancing no this no that all the restaurants do takeout sit outside oh no you can order up at the counter and then you can stay open oh but you know god you know wear your mask at your table then you can take your mask off and eat you know if we are really like buying this crap that this is for our safety and the harm, the untold harm that has come from the lockdowns, the financial consequences, and everybody's just like, oh, well, the lockdowns, you gotta you know, keep yourself safe from COVID. Are you kidding me? Have you not looked around to see the, the, the grave consequences that these lockdowns have caused? Is it okay that every day on the news we report, this restaurant is closed down and this business is closed down and this theater that's been around for uh, 75 years, well, that's closed down. And, you know, this concert is canceled. Enough. Yeah, yeah. When is it going to be enough? Like, how much are we going to tolerate? And think, well, that's okay because of COVID. That's okay because of COVID. You know, Quebec has a curfew two years in with 80% people vaccinated. Oh, well, that's because of COVID. Is this, how long is this bullshit going to go on before somebody starts screaming? Well, I think the, the I have an interesting answer to that, which is the the Soviet Union took seventy years to follow with Russian people being oppressed. Um, so with the the average Canadian sheeple, I mean, this could be seven hundred years. You know, it's 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 a uh, uh, it's a very scary prospect. And of course, you know, when we talk about the economic impacts, uh, I covered this extensively in, in episode one hundred and four of my show. And um, Canada's national debt now stands at about one and a half trillion dollars, which is twenty seven percent greater than our GDP. 
your children's great grandchildren at this point will still be uh, paying this debt off. And, you know, together with the, the climate change alarmism and the, and the rubbish rhetoric coming out of that, trying to shut down uh, Canada's petrochemical industry, um, I'm not sure what Canada is really going to do in terms of productivity or, or abundance generation to ever be able to begin to, to repay this debt. Um, and so one has to question, you know, particularly when, when uh, Prime Minister Castro on the campaign trail uh, says, I don't, I don't concern myself with monetary theory. Well, if, if the CEO of a company were to ever make that statement, he would be fired immediately and would never, would never be employable ever again in that sector. I mean, he would be scrubbing toilets or, or sweeping the floor somewhere. And so, you know, we've entered this really bizarre, I mean, it's like you think one of your opening statements was, you know, I felt like it was in the twilight zone. And, you know, we truly have come to this position where nothing makes sense anymore. Up, you know, up isn't up anymore. You know, there, there, there's gender fluidity. I mean, it's, you know, people are, it, it, we just come into this world, which nothing makes sense anymore. And I think that's by design um, to keep people in this state of fear and confusion so that this agenda can be continued to be advanced. And, um, and again, this agenda isn't worldwide. Unfortunately, much of Western Europe is also embroiled in this. Um, but, you know, I think they're probably 10 years further down the pathway. Uh, you know, India is coming out of this. South Africa is coming out of this. America is coming out of this. And so it's, it's a shame that this uh, once great nation uh, seems to have been steered onto the rocks by this present administration, which uh, arguably is probably the most inept and incapable administration that's ever held office in Ottawa. Uh, well, <clears throat> I believe so, but I don't believe any of these things are mistakes. These are probably all they, deliberate. Yeah. I mean, you know, like they're 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 printing this money, like the like you know, like getting us used to maybe government handouts rather than working and having your own business thrive. Your own, they're getting us used to needing them. You keep the store shelves empty or whatever, we might be begging for help or something. So they're they're acting like you know true daddy or something like that you know they're they're you know like they're pretending to look after us when really it's a completely unsustainable uh financial future that they're setting up for for us and for my children and for my potential grandchildren and, and all that so i i don't know I, I i think it's ineptness but it's almost deliberate ineptness like th these people are not making mistakes they they're almost doing this stuff with some sort of purpose that i i don't understand um, well, it's pretty, pretty, not, I've never on. seen the world like this in this. No. And I, I mean, I'll, I'll fill you in on, on a little tidbit of information that, that Reiner Fulmish provided me, which is that these world leaders, and you mentioned some of their names, uh, in the first portion of our, of our chat, uh, Francois Macron, Angela Merkel, um, Justin Trudeau. Uh, Christina Freeland, uh, Jacinda, whatever her last name is down there, I always forget, in, in New Zealand. Gregor. Um, yeah. So these are all yeah. World yeah. Economic Forum Young Global Leader graduates. And so one has to question, you know, what, like you say, this is simply cannot just be through ineptness. They must be all orchestrating this according to plan. And it sure seems that way. And, you know, when, when Klaus Schwab has released a book which is being sold on Amazon called COVID-19 and the Great Reset, uh, and you listen to some of these the things that they say, 
Agenda 2030 is what they are trying to impart upon the world. And if Canadians don't wake up soon, they're going to enjoy a medical dictatorship, technocratic rule. Um, and what we see in China will be coming to Canada. Uh, and just last night, I was listening to uh, Tucker Carlson, uh, who I admire greatly as a journalist. And he had a, a European journalist on that was ringing the alarm bells about the vaccine passports over there and the implementation of a social credit system, which, you know, if people don't know it yet, this vaccine passport in Canada already contains a social credit score. So, you know, the, the, the agenda is far more advanced in Canada than what the average normie or sheeple would ever imagine. And what is coming down the pipeline for those people is truly scary and horrific. I have talked to you on the phone before and you did tell me that one day and it is utterly terrifying if that is true. If that is really what they want to accomplish, then that is just terrifying. And I'm not sure that people understand that. I'm not even sure that I understand that. You know, that <clears throat> I, I, I spoke about this to, with a producer at work. I said, I think they want to do something with a vaccine passport that leads to a digital ID of some sort, yada, yada. And this person said to me, well, they already know everything about you anyway. What is the big deal? You know, you're, you're, you got everything in your phone anyway. They know everything. So what is the big deal? And then I was like, oh, I don't know. I just didn't just didn't have an answer because this is so big to even comprehend that what you're saying about all these world leaders that have come up through the World Economic Forum or whatever it is, whatever they've done here, are all sort of in lockstep with, with this agenda for some reason. And it makes me question, are they human? Are these people human beings? Or what are, what are these people? And how can this be a better world that they're trying to create? And I really hope that that's not what's happening. I just well, hope that that's not As, as do I, and, and I, you know, I hope that, uh, I had, had a very interesting meeting yesterday with some business colleagues. Uh, one was from America and one was from Israel. It was sort of interesting to hear the different opinions and, and, and different perspectives and what is happening on the ground. And uh, my American colleague um, has, has sort of informed me that, and he's a fairly high up business executive, and he figures a DeSantis administration is going to come into power in uh, 25 and that uh, Donald Trump is likely to be elected in the, the midterms in November as Speaker of the House, and that uh, a new golden age for America will begin, um, which I welcome because, um, you know, America has been that bastion of freedom and a thought leader and uh, has been led astray by the technocrats uh, since 1974 and the Carter administration. Uh, and there's some strange parallels between Joe Carter and Sleepy Joe. Um, and so maybe maybe that, that time of those technocrats trying to influence America is over. And um, I, I really think that could be the only hope for the globe is that we see a strong uh, America regain its presence and, and not in the way that, you know, not in that militaristic hegemonic sense, but as, as true thought leaders and philosophical leaders of one nation under God and a, and a return to a more uh, spiritual minded um, people uh, as opposed to this, you know, just sort of blind 
um, faith moving forward in, in this leftist woke agenda, which you know clearly hasn't served any of us uh, uh, well at all. So you, you mentioned Mac Pahar, and I, I'm, I'm unfamiliar. I'm unfamiliar with that situation. Um, give us give us some details and and, and uh, run through that for us, please. Oh, I guess yeah. I guess he was just someone that was on my mind because he was someone that we really demonized in the news quite badly, right? And I don't know that much about this guy. I just know that he was a flat earther, but we always talked about him like he was a. He, he, we went to flat earth conventions, and as soon as we said that, then when you identify somebody like that, all of a sudden it's like, oh well, they're crazy. Oh, they're a lunatic whatever if you're a flat earther who cares why would anybody judge you like okay i don't have to believe what you believe i know people that believe in bigfoot do you think that i care what what happened to just maybe do, do you not have license to be a little bit off the wall do we have to judge you so badly because you're off the wall so what you can have your opinions people are so judgmental it makes me sick but anyway this guy we always labeled him as that kind of a, like a nut job. And he was one of those guys that he really spoke out against what was happening with COVID right from the beginning. He had a yoga studio and he wanted to keep his business open. And bloody right, he has every right to keep his damn business open. What a stuff. terrible crime. What a terrible crime. <laughs> exactly. We just was like, oh, he's defying the public health orders. Well, maybe those public health orders were nonsense and he recognized that from the beginning he also walked into the hospital to royal columbian hospital with a camera phone and was like nobody's here nobody is in the hospital and he did that in 2020 and i think the police took his video and we that video tried to get you know we was removed or something like that and then he was under a lot of stress because he, he was speaking out and getting into trouble and then he died He's 48 years old, he was 48 years old and he died. And I saw that his wife, the coroner's report said that he had a heart attack. I don't know how he died, but I'll believe that if he, if he had a heart attack, he was probably under a lot of stress. And we said on the news that he died of an ivermectin overdose. Wow, wow. Yeah, that we laughed at him. He's a father, he has children. What right do we have to laugh at this guy? It's disgusting. And so he died somehow fighting for what he believed in. And then we said that he got COVID, took ivermectin and died. Ha ha. Wow. And wow. I was again, disgusted with us. Disgusted mm -hmm. with us. Mm -hmm. And we are portraying. So. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't have the right to speak up. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't, put it past anyone, you know, it made me wonder, how did he die? Did something, I don't know, did something, sometimes a government can make you disappear if they don't like you. I don't, I'm not saying anything, but you know, it just made me think, how did this guy die? But the fact is that we did reports and laughed at him and, and many mainstream media said that he died of ivermectin overdose. Really? Disgusting. Yeah, yeah. I really, yeah. really, so disappointed in, in 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 the journalism, the quality of journalism, the un, the no quality journalism. To, to well, do and, that and, to and that's that's even. I mean, that even goes beyond that. I mean, if if you are in possession of the death certificate and it clearly says heart attack, you're, you're now spreading falsehoods, you know, rumors, um, and, and 
utter misinformation. I mean, that's a whole different level of problem there. Um, There was also a recent piece yesterday that Global produced, which essentially was a hit piece, almost almost a Soviet-style slander document uh, on the dissenting doctors. And it sort of focused on the the doctors out in uh, Ontario, but it also mentioned... Uh, two colleagues of mine, Gulen Goddard and, and Stephen Maltos, um, both who have been uh, brave opponents to the to the mainstream bullshit. Um, and so it's interesting. And that was a fairly lengthy article. It was probably you know thirty five hundred or five thousand words. Um, yeah. And again, you know that falls. It, it's essentially slander. I mean, it's the you know I, you know I've, I've communicated with many of those doctors on that list. Um, you know, they, they also raised, uh, or they threw Charles Hoff into that equation as well. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, you know, are we, this is, you know, it's become almost a Soviet style, uh, government propaganda engine, mainstream media to, to discredit people who would dare to question the narrative or, or dare to provide real medical aid, uh, to their patients. Yeah. It's actually, that was actually very disappointing too, but when you read that article, they are doing that on purpose so that you read those names and you see those names. And so when you see those names and they are speaking up, you're going to think something. They want you to think something. So they want you to think that person's an outlier, that person's spreading misinformation. These are fringe doctors. And, um, and, and to, to, to put an article like that out there, they are trying to, to set a tone in, the pe- in people's minds that whenever you hear these names, these people are to be dismissed right away. And even someone like me, who's so on, on this stuff, I read the article and, and it made you think, oh my God, well, you know, it makes you question your own sanity. Like, are these, you know, am I wrong? to think, to believe in these guys, you know, I know that I'm not wrong, but they put the seed of doubt in everybody. And can you imagine if you have no basis and you don't know anything about these doctors, you're just going to think that they're quacks. And Stephen Malthouse says, we've really crapped on him too, because he will write exemptions and we, we, uh, we criticize his name all the time. I don't know that man personally. Oh, he's a, he's a lovely man. I mean, he's 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 traveled all over the world. Uh, he spent some time in Nepal and Kathmandu administering to, you know, to poor underprivileged people. Um, he, he he's a lovely man. He's he's soft spoken, very intelligent, very caring, uh, and I've and I've had the pleasure to to know him uh, and you know have dinner with him on a couple of occasions. And and you know he's a very very intelligent man. And and oh, okay. you know, his his biggest crime is questioning you know the dishonorable <clears throat> Bonnie Henry and her ridiculous mandates. Um, and you know and for that he's been you know vilified and sanctioned. Yeah. And, and I how know that dare- he's written to her. I know that Doctor Hoff has written. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, you know, Dr. Hoff, I mean, his, his story is, is perhaps even more ridiculous where, you know, he's, uh, he was the pastor and doctor to a small native community in Lytton, BC, which I think is about 700 residents. And, uh, he went off back home to South Africa to visit some family or friends. And in the, in the intermediary time, many of his patients uh, received the vaccination, which at that point, you know, we really didn't know the danger of it. And uh, he comes home and, you know, patients that were on a, you know, some of the people obviously weren't in the, in the greatest of health, but they were on a, on a health trajectory. And somebody's health doesn't suddenly change course for the better or for worse without some sort of uh, intervention. And um, there was, so again, being 
being an inquisitive doctor um, and brave, he requested those D-dimer tests and it all came back that, you know, 60, 70% of his patient pool had microclotting uh, to a significant degree, which, you know, you would see uh, the same level in a massive heart attack. And he wrote to Interior Health and says, you know, what's happening here? This doesn't seem to be proper. And he was immediately stripped of his hospital privileges, uh, which also results in 50% of his income being stripped. And then a locum had to be provided to Lytton um, to, to support the, the, the people there in the emergency room at probably triple the cost as to what uh, Dr. Hoff was being paid, which comes out of your and I's pocket as uh, taxpayers in the province. So um, it's a very dangerous situation. And, you know, one of, one of the, the doctors, uh, Roshange Killian, or Roshan A. Killian, another lovely South African gal, very, very principled, very brave, um, and, you know, very, very intelligent. And she was writing exemption letters for her patients and has been, you know, absolutely admonished by the uh, College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario um, unnecessarily. And, and, you know, this has been something that I have been covering on my program in terms of, you know, why doctors in, in Canada in lockstep are just so frightened of their of their governing bodies and, and, and why these governing bodies are able to have such control over their membership which you know as a as a and I think we've chatted about this off here I mean as as a as a medical professional as as a medical doctor you're a scientist you've sworn an oath to to uphold a level of care uh, to your patients to do no harm and if in in this day and age if you refuse to look at the abundance of scientific information surrounding this subject and and not speak out against your college for prophylactic early treatments you know the, the fact that these vaccines are are, are are injuring people and provide no benefit you know you should be stripped of your license and you know perhaps you shouldn't be um uh, practicing medicine but you should be scrubbing toilets and sweeping floors i mean that's it's uh uh, you know, and, and uh, I had Dr. James Lyons Weiler uh, on my program for episode 100, and he's been very vociferous from the beginning of this, and, and he agrees that you know these people that are discharging their medical duties in such a poor fashion uh, at this point are essentially murderers, uh, and that same can be applied to all these public health officials, Bonnie Henry, Adrian Dix, all these clowns that you know Teresa Tam. Uh, all these people are murderers because every single person that has died in Canada died needlessly from this disease. It's it's simple, you know. And of course, you know, just recently here in British Columbia with the gym closure and, and uh, you know the the fortunate um, uh, reversal of the continued gym closure order, we know that the singular most uh, problematic comorbidity for um, COVID is obesity because of the density of your ACE2 receptors and your adipose tissue. And so, you know, what a crazy thing to do to close gyms where people who maybe are 20 pounds overweight or, or, or who are obese have the opportunity to go and improve their physical condition so that they are less of a burden, less of a danger um, to, to, to getting to themselves or and to their, to their peer group to, to come down with COVID. I mean, it's, it's utterly crazy. It's so crazy that it has to be on purpose. And I, that's what I, I did a post about that. I said something in a podcast about that. I got into trouble for that. But like, obviously you, your physical and your mental health go hand in hand. There's so many benefits to exercise, to close the gym. This is not a mistake. You are keeping people down by doing that. You are crushing their spirits. I mean, you're telling people not to dance at New Year's Eve and you got 80 
five percent of the people vaccinated <laughs> like are you mental what is wrong with you these i wish people would just wake up and understand that these goddamn restrictions have nothing to do with your health it has to do with sh shutting you down lowering your spirits ruining you financially for what reason i'm not actually sure but i mean what you said about the um the doctors is that is also a thing that is very very hard to believe right like i know that this happens to be true because i've now heard this a time and time again but think about the normal people they have never heard anything like this because a doctor is going to look after you do are we going to really expect people to believe that in all the hospitals all over the place the doctors are not looking after you but they have been they've had their they've been what's the word they've been uh, held back from doing what they want to do because their license will get taken away and they'll get fired they've been told by the who the college of physicians and surgeons or something uh that you don't talk about hydroxychloroquine you don't talk about treatment they have been told this but it's unbelievable michael it's well, unbelievable isn't it I agree. And I, unfortunately, I think that many of them are also asleep at the wheel. Uh, you know, our, our mutual nurse friend, her ex-husband, who's a doctor in a small town, um, has vaccinated their one daughter and is, is gunning to vaccinate the other and uh, their son. And, you know, in complete, you know, absence of scientific information. And um, they, I think, you know, they're, they're again, they're Kool-Aid drinkers. They don't, you know, and, and so when this gentleman is, is been uh, faced with, you know, have you not read Peter McCullough's landmark study on the early outpatient treatment of uh, COVID-19, which, you know, has about 40 other authors and has been cited over 40,000 times now, uh, you know, so oh, that's misinformation. It's like, well, listen, you went to a little shitty school in Alberta, medical school, Dr. McCullough went to one of the one of the finest medical colleges on the planet, Baylor University. He's one of the most respected published medical doctors in the world. And you think that somehow you are superior, your knowledge base is superior to that gentleman? I mean, that's that is madness. I mean, that's just it, it's irresponsible. And, you know, I think again, these doctors who have been conducting themselves in this manner if and when there's ever a day of reckoning for all these people, they need to be stripped of their licenses and um, given a scrub brush and a, and a broom. It's, it's terrible. So moving on yeah. here, um, the, during your career, have you noticed a shift of journalistic practices in this country? Uh, or is this, is this been a very sudden shift from, you know, journalistic integrity towards this uh, propaganda engine? Well, <clears throat> I, I, I guess the shift has been sudden. This, this has been sudden. It's been fast and furious what, what has happened with COVID. But maybe there's been a slow shift leading up, up to this because, you know, budgets are so tight, um, staff is so low that you really are hacking and slashing, getting the news of the day on air as quickly as you can. So in terms of like back in the old days in the 80s, well, in the 90s when I was working there, uh, you might have a reporter that could maybe, you could put them on a story for maybe a few days, which would be a luxury to let them go and dig and really get into things. Um, but those days are sort of gone. You're sort of doing news of the day, filing for news of the day. So, and then 
And back in the day, you know, when you're working the phones and you're calling the police and all the reporters are connected to the police and to, to people in the community. Nowadays, you know, you, you can read the tweet. So the RCMP will tweet something. So you can say RCMP tweeted, yada, yada, yada. So it just makes everything faster. So you can do it day of. So maybe there is a lack of sort of time to investigate. I, I've noticed that where there's no time, nobody is given time to really bloodhound a, a project the way they would have done back in the day. Okay, so there's that. But I would say the latter was true that it was just a fast and furious shift that this is the agenda and you don't speak out against it or something. I was I was often thought there was a, I might, might have said this already, that there was a memo that went around and I didn't get the memo. Like, did the memo happen and I missed this? You know, um, and I, I did notice that. We had a reporter do a, a story on uh, human rights, how people were filing complaints with the Human Rights Tribunal or whatever. And I thought that this story, you might get some intelligent clips of people fighting for their rights um, that have been so infringed upon. But that whole story, and I know the reporter that did it, she's such a nice person. And But her whole angle of her story was, look at these selfish, unvaccinated people who are filing human rights complaints and clogging up the, the system. That was the crux of the story. And when I saw the story, my jaw dropped. I was like, that's the story we're telling? We are painting these pictures of people who are fighting for their rights as a bunch of selfish pricks. Well, and we have oh, done oh, that all the time. All the people. Yeah, unbelievable. Outside the hospitals and stuff. How we, how we said, how dare you protest outside a hospital? Okay, well, all right, you know, okay. You know, but we just, and all the clips that we pick of people, we make them look like a bunch of idiots rather than pick the intelligent things we do that on purpose it's the, that to me has been horrible and and it just shows that we are not on, on a, we have picked a side and we are have established that side we're not we you know you're not supposed to pick a side in journalism you're supposed to tell both sides absolutely. and let the audience decide absolutely and so, so you, you, you mentioned this you know potential memo that went out to these people you know the 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 upper echelon of the news organizations you know do you have any real knowledge of, of government influence or payoffs within this media hierarchy to continue to choreograph the narrative because it's you know amongst all of our news companies within canada it's the same message i mean it's like they're all reading off the same uh the same scorecard same song sheet well when i say like a memo went out I don't, I don't literally mean that. I just feel like, did a, did a memo go out and I didn't get it? Like, that's how, I, that's how I feel. In terms of actually knowing the directives that are coming upon the news director in the newsroom, like actually being privy to that knowledge, I, I'm not pr privy to that knowledge. So I don't know how this message is being driven so fast and furious. I can only assume they are given directives and they better hold the bloody line on those directives. So I feel like they're almost castrated in a way that whatever they would want to say, they don't have the freedom to say because maybe we're getting paid off in some way. But I'm not privy, privy to that. I really plead ignorance on that because I, I don't actually know. I only know what I've, I don't actually know. I'm and not privy any, to that. 
I mean, any idea? So we, we certainly see the, uh, you know, get your COVID-19 vaccination. It's safe and effective. Those bullshit ads that come out. You know, do you have any idea of what the government's paying the media outlets to run those? I mean, uh, that would be interesting to see if we could forensically analyze, you know, if, if, a, if, a, if a 30 second spot to, let's say, you know, uh, the brick, for instance, on the on the five o'clock news hour is worth X. Is the vaccine portion versus is that worth five X? I mean, is there some kind of sneaky means in which they're getting that influence in there where, you know, the 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 hierarchy, the shareholders within these news organizations don't want to bite the hand that's feeding them? That is very possible. And I don't know if they're getting X amount more for running the COVID ads. I, I, I don't I don't know. Um, people in sales would know how much a an ad for a furniture store would sell for on the five o'clock news and they they could be very transparent about that i could just ask somebody if anybody would talk to me so i could ask but in terms of the COVID ads um i don't know if they're getting more but i mean there are these rumors swirling about that the media has been paid off by governments and that's why the narrative is such um i don't have evidence of that I don't, you know, I'm not privy to that. I'm just a worker there that I press buttons and I put the news on the TV. I don't actually, um, I'm not privy to the directives. I just see what they are as they come down. And and is, is Global a public company? I mean, I know Shaw is. Is, is Global a publicly traded company? Yes, I think I think so. I think so. I and mean, we're not like the CBC where we're taxpayer funded. But no. um, well, I always thought we were a private company, but we must be getting kickbacks in some way to be pushing this narrative. Um, yeah, that's, that's definitely I think somebody somewhere along the line should be investigating this. And, and I do believe that they're as part of the, the, the government's uh, COVID uh, economic support, blah, 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 whatever it is. I believe there were several hundred million dollars handed out to the media organizations. Uh, so, you know, clearly the, the, whether it's the, the major shareholders, directors, or, or some of the C-level uh, executives who are, you know, looking to get some large bonuses or, or you know, dividend payout, uh, there, there has to be a financial incentive here, or all these people are just stupid and they're, you know, they're, they're, they drank the Kool-Aid. So one or the other. Or their positions are threatened. So if the news director doesn't toe a certain line, his position will be threatened or something. Right. Some, something, something. They've got somebody just as they've got the doctors. They've got them by the cojones in some way. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I, I think so. I, I can all, how much trouble are we going to get for saying, saying this? I guess it's well, out there now, you know. I mean, you're, what else, you know, what else? They're, they're, they're yeah, you know, I guess the the like they took Dr. Mel and threw him in the psych ward for being crazy and talking about what he talked about. I mean, I guess that's uh, you know we're we're entering this Soviet style mm-hmm. um, uh, process of dealing with dissidents, and you know, again, this is one of the reasons that I'm choosing to exit this clown show because uh, I simply don't see I, the prognosis for Canada is extremely poor, and I don't wish to be part of it, and and I refuse to be a a one percent minority questioning the narrative surrounded by a bunch of barnyard animals that uh, uh, don't realize that the, the the reason the farmer is feeding them is to eat them. Animal farm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. So, you know, we are in a minority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so what's next for you then? You, you're, you just got your, your termination, uh, yesterday. <laughs> uh, where, what's your plan? Where do you go from here? I don't know. I'm just the 
type of person. I'll just continue telling people stories. And I love talking to people and doing my little uh, podcast that I do from home. Um, I have a channel on Rumble. So I, I, I do that. And I'm just going to go get a normal job for whoever's going to have me. I'll just try and get a normal job and see what happens. And I know that, you know, I might not make the money I used to make. And I'm okay with that. Uh, I'm okay with doing whatever I have to do as long as I keep my dignity while I'm doing it. Well, that's that's right. We had that, that conversation yesterday where, you know, uh, when you look yourself in the mirror, you can smile and say, hey, that's a good person instead of, you know, look at that that travesty of a human that's been spreading lies and falsehoods and, and creating fear and pandemonium, right? Yeah, I can't do that job anymore until they change. Maybe they'll change. I'm ever hopeful that maybe we will get through this and that maybe things will be better. Maybe one day they'll have me back. I don't know. But um, if they don't, then they don't. But at least I can sleep at night with a clear conscience that I'm not spreading misinformation anymore. Well, I think I think a well written cover letter to Fox News together with uh, uh, your impressive CV and a request for uh, a uh, letter of employment um, down to the Fox News studios is probably a better move for you than uh, languishing here. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll make note of that. <laughs> okay, I will. Excellent. I'll call up Tucker. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, uh, where you mentioned your 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 podcast on Rumble, um, what is that called, and where can listeners go to learn more about you and your work? Well, um, then, the, if you just type in "AK Straight Speaks" on Rumble, you'll find me. Um, and for the longest time, I couldn't think of a name for my channel, but I think I'm going to call it Truth Talks with Anita. But if you just type in "AK Straight Speaks." Uh, on Rumble, you'll find my videos there. Okay, fantastic. And how many? Yeah. How many? How many? What's uh, how much content do you have up there so far? I have some things I haven't uploaded yet because I was nervous about speaking so freely because I didn't want to offend my employer. I just wanted to <laughs> keep it on the down low. But now I can just. I have some pretty saucy videos that I haven't um, uploaded. I did one with a molecular immunologist from PEI and we were just two women sort of at the end of our rope in that podcast and I never uploaded it because I thought it was too controversial and too upsetting, but what the hell? I guess I'll put it up there now. So, excellent, excellent. Well, yeah. I'll-, I'll I have a few I'll, videos. Super, super. Well, you know, you're, again, you're, you're doing, you're fighting the good fight and you're doing a great job at it. And so uh, I wish you the best of luck in your, in your future endeavors. And uh, let's, let's keep in touch here. And um, if, uh, if there's something more interesting to talk about in the future, let's uh, get back on air here and uh, put down another episode. Absolutely. I'm always game. And Michael, thank you so much for your friendship and support. Very good, uh, Anita. You have a great day and God bless and uh, all the best. You too. Have a great Thank day. Take care. Th Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.